Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and on the podcast, I have Josh Reif. Josh, where are you at, and what are you up to? Yeah, Funcy Muncie. So Muncie, Indiana, uh, head coach at Ball State University. So I can just say, or head soccer coach, uh, no men's program here, so get to coach the ladies. And uh, just finished up uh, my third, I guess, my third season. So it'll be, I guess, July will actually be three years here in Muncie. So. Loved every second. What was, when you started Muncie three years ago there, what were some of the things that you wanted to put in place to, that you were hoping to be at where you're at now after three seasons? Yeah, I think the team, one of the really great things for me when I took over was uh, the program had been successful. And so I think it was not so much reinventing the wheel by any means. It was kind of taking, what do they do well and how can we kind of just continue to build on it? All right. I think anything, um, as successful as, you know, one season can be, if you kind of remain the same, um, you're, you're going to get caught, or you're going to get past, or, you know, people are going to continue, you know, to, to close that gap. And so I think one of the things is, um, you know, I found throughout my career is just however successful you've been, and it's great and exciting, is that uh, you better be ready to get back after it, um, you know, the following day, because, you know, no one else has taken time off, and they're not going to you know, they'll, they'll sing your praises for a very short time before they're coming after you again. You mentioned no men's program. Are there advantages and disadvantages to not having a, a men's program at the university? Yeah, I, I'll hit the disadvantages first. I think that um, I think when you have a men's team, I think there becomes a natural um, kind of fan section, what we'll call it. Right. I mean, like you just have some, you know, another team that has a, a like interest and so I think you get natural support that they're going to come out and support you your ladies are going to go support them so you get this built-in soccer community which is great um, among the athletes I think um, again it's just it's different on both sides it's not good or bad I've coached on both the you know men's side and the women's side but I think they bring different elements right I mean I think that there's a level um, just the speed of play in general on the men's side um, is pretty quick right and they and it's, it's a generalization, but I would just say in my experience, like the guys will watch games all day long, right? Like they're playing FIFA in the locker rooms, they're playing FIFA in the dorms. Like they're just, if there's a game on, it doesn't matter what it is. They're probably watching it, right? Like where our girls, you know, they will watch games, but I think sometimes it's reminders. They're watching national team games, right? But it's not every weekend or, you know, the, shoot I have a hard enough time doing it but you know they're not checking Champions League schedules and they're not watching midweek games and so I think on the men's side like just like I grew up in the era of Michael Jordan right like everyone to be like Mike right so you're watching the game and you're trying to on this you know but like same thing on the field right these guys are seeing players day in day out do stuff and it's like they're trying things right and they're doing things and that becomes probably the most natural um, consistent exposure that that a team you know women's team will get is watching the men play they're like oh wow well, look at that I didn't see this or like how you know, some of those things. I think, though, um, you know, it, it's a different type of tactics, but I think, you know, on the, on the women's side, just um, how, you know, I think a certain level of structure and spacing, how, like, it can be, you know, you can exploit things differently in the women's game, right? I mean, I think it's harder to get one-on-one -on -one matchups, right? Or I think it's, it becomes a little more difficult on the men's side, um, or on the women's side, like, you can, I think you can be a little more intentional, like, hey, where can we be successful and like let's get the ball there right I mean I just think you know um, if the pitch is the same size I think it just becomes a little bit harder sometimes to for the women to cover as much ground so if your spacing is really good you can create you know 1v1 matchups better 
or with more success maybe than on the men's side. So it's little nuances of that. I think it's kind of the downside of maybe why um, of not having a men's team is that we get to, we don't get to see, you know, just differences and people playing and for our kids to take that, take those ideas and say, Hey, let's, let's do that. Right. Or we solve this um, as a coach, you know, it's a whole other staff that you get to bounce ideas off of, you know, I think at places that I've been that have had men's programs, you know, there's a, again, built in three or four other staff that you're just talking the game with and you're, you're talking to them about, Hey, how'd this go in training? What about this? Have you tried this? Or, you know, Hey, how do you guys solve these problems? Right. So I think that's uh, personally, right. That's a little bit of a, uh, you know, something that you miss um, on the positive side. And this is kind of, it's, it's extremely selfish, but like, I don't have to check with anybody to use my field, right. <laughs> like, we're the only one <laughs> for training. You know, if we want to do something, it's like, well, okay. Yeah. If, if we're not, if we're not using it, then it's available. So, um, you know, I think that there's definitely uh, there's a convenience factor and, you know, I think uh, just everybody's schedule is busy enough as it is that when you're not having to schedule another team and you know and you want to be as, as amicable as you can in that relationship um so you're you know it's just a little more balance of who's where doing what can we do this and you know weather hits and you got to change again like i said it's pretty convenient for me to just be like hey guys we're gonna push training back an hour right like no big deal or you know other places i've been it's like well we want to push it back an hour well that's creeping into their time you got to call them can this is work you know so um it's a slight uh inconvenience more than it's I guess a, a a huge benefit but it's I'd say that's the biggest biggest differences you mentioned with not having another staff to bounce ideas off how do you fill that void like who do you bounce ideas off of <laughs> yeah um well I'll start number one uh I'm the second best player in my house so my wife was a division one uh, women's soccer player. She's in the hall of fame at her university. I'm, I'll never be in the hall of fame anywhere. Um, and so she was a division one assistant coach as well. Um, you know, so I think there's a natural, you know, uh, sounding board right there of, of, of all things, right. Whether it's soccer, whether it's just dealing with issues that come up with the team. Um, you know, she, she obviously lends an amazing perspective for me. Um, my brother-in-law was an all American soccer player at Wake Forest. So there's, there's that built in. My sister was a division one soccer player. Um, so within my family, I got a lot of people with opinions, that's for sure. <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you've been in, you kind of stay around the game long enough. You, you meet different coaches. Um, you know, my first break into the women's college soccer was, um, with a guy named Nate Norman, who's the head coach at Notre Dame, women's coach at Notre Dame is a, a close friend of mine. So we talk a lot of soccer, um, I've been really, really fortunate to have through my playing career to, you know, to be under some pretty amazing coaches that, um, you know, I can either reach out to them or even just draw back on past experiences of, of these guys who have had un, unbelievable, you know, success, um, whether it's Jerry Yeagley at Indiana, where I was fortunate enough to play, um, under him, um, I like to say the coach Yeagley, the original, um, <laughs> you know, through my pro career with a coach who was a hall of fame coach, uh, played indoor as well with a guy, uh, Keith Tozer, who, you know, I think he, when I was there on the field for his 700th win, I think he's the all-time winningest pro coach in North America. Um, guy, Bob Lilly, who's with the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, but has won, you know, with the Vancouver Whitecaps and in Montreal and, um, with the Rochester Rhinos. So, you know, I think I've been 
really fortunate. And uh, Vlad Kalandinovsky, our new women's national team coach, was a former teammate of mine. So during COVID, we uh, we had a number of conversations and, um, you know, so I, I, you know, I guess you live long enough, you kind of meet enough people that move on to do big things that you get to, you know, just kind of bounce ideas off of them and, um, and just learn from them, you know, just watch them and, and see how they do things. I think it's, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I've been really fortunate, kind of feel like Forrest Gump at times that I kind of fall into some of these situations <laughs> and run across these people and I'm like, how did I get here? Um, but really fortunate, like I said, to have some pretty great mentors along the way and, and just friends really that I can, can lean on with, with different things. Was your time at Indiana, was that kind of the spur that said, you know what, if the playing thing doesn't work out, I'd love to get into coaching? Um, no, actually. So I, uh, you know, my, my dad's a contractor, home builder, um, blue collar guy. Um, the plan was, you know, get done, get through college and go take over the family business. Um, grew up around it, you know, enjoy, um, kind of process driven type work. Right. I mean, let's, you have, you start here and home gets built down here and you get you know, the steps in between and how you go about it. Um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, had an 11 year pro career playing. Um, so I actually got a late start into coaching. Um, but as I was looking to retire, um, one of the indoor teams, so I played indoor and outdoor, um, professionally, but one of the indoor teams that I, I played against said, Hey, you know, we're looking for a new coach. Would you be interested? And I was 32 years old, I guess at the time. Um, someone said, Hey, do you want to be a pro coach? And I was like, sure. You know, like I can, I can kind of push off some of the family business stuff another year. And, um, I got into that and, you know, the indoor soccer towards the, you know, it's, it has its ups and downs as far as stability at the time. And it was a little bit of a rough patch and a little uncertainty. And with a, with a young family, I knew I needed to make a, a move from there, but definitely loved, um, coaching. I mean, that's where I really kind of said, you know what, I, I like this a lot more than I thought I was going to. And, you know, I want to keep doing this. And now, now it's like, all right, well, what's the right situation? Where's the right opportunity for me? And, um, you know, fortunately again, with my wife and her background and the game, you know, she was like, yeah, let's do it. And I mean, she was gung ho and was like, yeah, you know, like, let's, let's see where this goes. And, um, you know, and credit to her that again, she, gave me the freedom to say, let's go, let's go chase this down a little bit. How that that's so st- cool. What your wife, her response to it was how, how impactful and supportive and what have you, has she been to be that kind of to take a step back? I mean, being a stud soccer player as she was and, and what have you to kind of take that step back and kind of push you out there as like, Hey, now it's your time to go and make your own waves. Man, I, I mean, it, it's, it'll sound cliche, but I could, I can't, I mean, I can't overstate how amazing uh, my wife has been through this. So we have, this is a uh, 17 years, March 26 was 17 years married. Um, we've moved 30 times um, in that time. And, you know, you, you can't, I have, a, again, I have teammates that I feel like they kind of go one of two ways. They either married someone who's a soccer player and loved it, or they ma- married someone who knew nothing about the game and, you know, my wife's talking to him at games and they're like, oh, like the uniforms look cool. Right. My wife, you know, I come <laughs> home and my wife was like, your first touch was terrible. Like you need to work on that this week. Right. Um, but I mean, no, she has been unbelievably supportive. And I mean, it's great. Right. Because then you feel like because, again, there's a lot of sacrifices that you make in this, especially right. College coaching and um, the amount of recruiting and 
games and just the demands of it, right? That so much falls on her. I mean, if it, if she wasn't supportive, there's no way it would work, right? That, you know, part of this, it maybe falls on me with scheduling, but you only have so many dates in the spring, but right. I mean, we had a spring game on my anniversary, right? It's like, Hey, I'm sorry. We're going to be on the road in Dayton. <laughs> um, you know, I'll be back home. You know, I've got a daughter who's got a birthday in September in the middle of the season, right? Like there's, you're, you know, you're going to miss or be late for certain things. And so, um, no, to have a family who is supportive is one thing, but that, again, to have a wife who was a college coach, right? Division one assistant coach, like she gets it, she understands it, but she loves it. You know, we, we kind of joke that I, I don't know if there's a family a house in America that watches more soccer than we do. And it's, again, it's usually driven by my wife that she's the one texting me updates on champions league scores, or, you know, she, we've got, a com- two computers and a TV on and they're all, th- you know, in the, in the fall with college games and we're watching everything we can. And I'm trying to scout one game and she's watching something else. And <laughs> she's, you know, she's watching another future opponent. She's like, Oh, did you know stones? I was like, no, I'm, I'm today's Thursday. I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow. But I'm like, sure. If you want to scout for four games ahead, like go for it. You know? So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun though. And I think, uh, you know, my kids don't know it yet, but they're going to be soccer players. So that's <laughs> <laughs> That's a given. <laughs> hey, the the other thing that uh, popped in my head was you talked about getting asked to take over that professional team and you enjoyed the coaching. What was the transition like from being the player to being now I'm coach? Uh, what was that like? Yeah, uh, again, I was really fortunate. So between indoor, outdoor, it was uh, 19 pro seasons. Um I was good being done playing, right? Like I didn't, I wasn't that coach who um, had the itch to keep doing it, right? Uh, we joke about a lot, like, you know, around people ask me if I still play. I'm like, no, like I, I don't, like I don't, I, was, I had my run uh, physically. It's probably harder on me than, uh, than I'd like to admit someday. So I don't, I, I didn't miss playing, but I missed the locker room. I missed kind of just the energy around the game. So the transition into coaching was easy. Now I think, trying to find my way as a coach was, was pretty, you know, was, was the most difficult thing, right? I mean, I had a lot of ideas. I think, you know, it's one of those things that the game, um, even from a young age, you know, I always tell people like the game made sense to me, right? I grew up in Texas, um, football's king, right? Like it's football season and football off season, um, you know, but I was never going to be a football player. It was I was five, two and 96 pounds my freshman year in high school. So I was just a little guy. Um, but, but the game of soccer just always made sense. Right. And so I think the way, and I had to, I had to think the game to keep up, right. Like there's no way physically I was going to get by in the game. So it was, you know, just how do I understand the game and just tactically, right. I I guess I would say that it was pretty natural for me. So I think the ideas I had, but as far as then like how to actually be a coach um, the best and worst thing for me was that I had these pretty unbelievable coaches that I played for. Right. Um, the blessing is that you see these pretty amazing people day in and day out that are, you know, um, at Indiana with coach Yeagley, right. I think he's an eight time national coach of the year again, was on the field when he won his 500th game. Um, you know, just, we were in the middle of five straight final four appearances when I was there. Um, well, the natural thing then is you want to say, well, let me just do what coach Yeagley does. Right. When I was coaching indoor, right. Guy Keith Tozer, who's, won a bunch right and it was fortunate to be on some teams that were really successful it's like well let me just do what Keith Tozer does and the reality is like I'm a terrible Keith Tozer I'm a terrible Jerry Yeagley I'm a terrible Mark Steffens 
you know, Bob, like, you know, if I'm trying to be somebody else, like I, that was probably the hardest part. Like I knew I loved coaching, but there were definitely days where I'm like, man, like this is hard. Like this is not, and not that it's always going to be easy, but it was a hard lesson early on of like, I'm a terrible fill in the blank, right? My only hope at doing this is to try to be the best Josh Raff I can be. And I think that was a, a more liberating, um, moment for me as a coach to just say like all right I've just got to forge ahead with taking these lessons but like how do I do it my way what was the what was the conversation like with dad when you realized like professional soccer and now I'm going into coaching I'm not going into the family business what was the what was the dynamic there between the two of you yeah um he, he was, he's, man, he's got to be um, my biggest fan, right? So I think it was a thing of where I kind of thought I was going to go back and do this, go back and do this. And he finally just got the point. He's like, look, like, if you don't want to do this, like, that's okay. He's like, I don't, he's like, I'm going to be okay with that. Like, you need to go do what you want to do. Um, and that even happened as a player. Um, I was fortunate enough to go overseas and um, we talked a little earlier before we kind of kicked this off, um, spent some time in Newcastle in between my junior and senior in college and went over with a team and played and was identified by a scout there. And so I went back after I, I left school early, um, went over to Scotland and was on trial with Celtic and St. Mirren and, you know, had some great experiences and um, really some stubbornness on my end and some pride. Like I just quit. So like after I went over there, um, had some opportunities to go back and I just quit. and. I don't, that was the, we'll call it a, I don't know if it was a fight, but the only time I've ever hung up on my dad and he was, I said, Hey, I'm not going to play. And he wasn't too happy to hear that. Um, and I just hung the phone up on him. We didn't talk for almost six months, which it's a guy that I talked to two, three times a week. Yeah. Um, but the short of it was, he's just like, you're wasting an opportunity. He's like, you have a talent. He goes, you should play. Yeah. I mean, that was his thing. He was just like, what are you doing? And he just thought I was the biggest idiot for not pursuing it. Um, I wasn't happy that he had that opinion. <laughs> and so we took some time off. Um, but again, kind of through that time was when I realized like, you know what, uh, I do, you know, try to impress upon my players, but I think, um, my, my mom lover, she, she can do a lot of amazing things. She was never going to be a soccer player. She's five, four, 10. She's tiny, not an overly competitive person. <laughs> um, it was like, man, my mom's gifted in a lot of different things, but soccer is not one of them. And that realization, like, you know what? I do have a knack for this game and it's, it's kind of wasteful of me to not take advantage of the opportunities. And fortunately I was, you know, I had the opportunity to go back and this was back in the, in the A-League um, pre-USL or kind of before however many versions and branding, but they used to draft players. And so a uh, team out of Charlotte had drafted me and I told them no thanks at the time and then kind of came crawling back and said, Hey, can I come back for a tryout? And, you know, spent, uh, spent 10 years there after that and was fortunate enough. And so, yeah, my dad, he, uh, he was super supportive. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I don't do well with it, he was been amazing, but I get, sometimes I think I feel I've gotten better at it, but want to press upon my kids is just this like, why not mentality, right? Like, you know, and even with our players, right? Like go try this. Well, coach, what happens if like, well, like, why wouldn't you try? Just try it. Why not? You know, like, what's the worst that can happen? And he's, you know, he's always, you know, he's an entrepreneur and kind of has that spirit in him anyway. But, you know, I think uh, with the coaching gig, he was kind of like, why not? Right. Like, why? Okay. Well, let's, let's just say you're terrible and it sucks. Like, okay, well, 
32 years old, you were the head coach of a pro soccer team. Like, that doesn't sound like that's the worst case scenario, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So, yeah, he's always been a, a big fan and uh, supportive of, of me kind of chasing down my passions. As you finish up the pro opportunity and realize, man, this coaching thing is pretty cool. I'd like to keep pursuing it. Where do you go next? What's the next step in the journey? Yeah, so um, I was in I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with the assistant coach of the Pittsburgh Riverhounds at the time. So I left Rochester, went to Pittsburgh, and my old coach in Charlotte was the head coach there. Um, you know, we're about nine games into the season. Was not um, we weren't having a great year, um, and I get a call from Nate Norman, um, who I had never met before, but we he had a teammate at Notre Dame. Um, that I was teammates with in Charlotte and he was looking for an assistant and he called and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested? And uh, at the time, you know, I had a job. I'm like, well, you know, not sure. I knew it was a good opportunity. Um, you know, the pro game can be a little tumultuous at times and uncertain. Um, and we had a, a really great conversation. Uh, 48 hours later, my head coach was let go. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this is really good timing to, uh, to make the move. Um, and so fortunately, you know, it worked out well. And I was fortunate to be retained um, by the new coach that came in. But at that time, you know, my wife and I said, you know what, let's let's make this move. And we had talked about going on the women's side with her background and playing. Um, I have two daughters. And so I think, you know, women's soccer was something we, you know, collegiately is something we had looked at wanting to get into and or getting back to really, I guess. Um, and who knew if the opportunity ever arise for us to work together. Right. And so um, the Liberty job was presented uh, as an assistant there with Nate and we took it. And that was kind of my first full-time gig, um, collegiate women's soccer. When you look back at that first, now with the women's side, it's collegiate. You've been kind of entrenched in the professional game. What were some of the things that you realized when you got into the college game that you, that were a little bit different than the professional game? Yeah, I, I think in, it sets up to my kind of personality probably better, but I, I think that on the women's side, for sure, they're a little more relational, right? I think on the men's side, especially pro, we joke about it, but you're kind of working with mercenaries, right? Like highest bidder, <laughs> like, yeah, we'll go to battle with, with whoever pays us the most, um, which isn't bad, right? I mean, I think, again, so much of anything you get into, it's like, what are the expectations? What do you, let's just be really clear about it. It's like, well, hey, you know, on the pro side, it's a business, right? Like you're being paid and expected to perform at a certain level and do certain things. And if you can do that, great, we'll get along. And if not, then, you know, it's a little more transactional maybe is what I would say. Um, you can still have some transformational moments as a coach. I think it's just, it's just different. Right. Um, you know, I think so again, on the women's side, I think, uh, well, we'll go back to the men's, right. The men's, my playing pedigree and background helped earn me credit with the players, right? Like if you go out there and you hit a, you know, you go ping a ball and they're like, oh, okay. Like coach, coach played, he knows what he's talking about. Right. Like, I think you earn credibility a little different there on the women's side, like, you know, um, three years into this. And one of my players was like, oh, you, you know, like, oh, you coach professionally. And I was like, yeah. You know, <laughs> she's like, oh, I didn't know that. Right. Like they could care less what, what I've done as a player. Right. But they, they're going to want to know, like, do you care? Right. Like, do you care about me as a person? Are you invested in me? And I think when you cross that bridge, then I think like, you know, they're willing to, you know, their buy-in, I think, grows exponentially there, right? But again, it, it's got to be genuine. It's got to be authentic that they'll they'll sift through the, uh, you know, kind of the fake facade if it's not, if it's not real. 
So, yeah. Was there part of you when at Liberty, <clears throat> what point did you say, you know what, I want to go become a head coach? Like, was that kind of the, the fire, that the spark that you needed? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, again, like I said, I, I got into it late so for a lot of people right I mean I, that was then 34 years old before I was my first full-time you know collegiate coaching gig which is I know I'm fortunate right I mean I have different experiences but that just it's not typical all right that um but I knew with a family and um while I while I loved my time as assistant for everyone I worked for I also knew like you know with being a head coach there's different there's different pressure but there's also different benefits that I get to set the schedule, right? Like, you know, I can't always do it, but there's a lot of moments where if there's a field trip and I want to take my kid to the apple orchard, you know, like, Hey, I can move the schedule around to go do that. Right. Like, you know, um, I, I, so, you know, I think, um, that was always a pull, right. Is that one day, you know, you want to get there, you know, again, I was fortunate along the way that every head coach I worked with, they, they valued the, you know, the family and, um, there weren't many, many times where I felt like I had to choose between the two that they were always really respectful of, of kind of my family and, and trying to keep that balance. Um, but like I said, we'll go back to earlier, just when you have a wife who understands it and loves it as much as you, that, that helps. Cause there's probably times where the balance wasn't there, but she was cool with it and she understood. And, you know, I never felt uh, guilty in those moments. So then Liberty, crush it there is is that the next move to Muncie or is there another stop along the way um so yeah I was actually yeah I was at Liberty for two years um under two different head coaches so I was retained um there um went to Mississippi State was kind of the next move for me um and was an assistant there at Mississippi State in the SEC um for Tom and Agnes and um who Tom you know Nate had was an assistant for Tom at Miami back in the day. Um, and so made that connection. And so was offered that opportunity and, um, kind of the trend at that time was a lot of power five assistants were becoming head coaches. And so, um, you know, I think that was looking at it and it was, you know, somewhat of a calculated risk on our end of like, Hey, is this the right time to make, um, this move? And, um, so yeah, so we, we capitalized on that opportunity spent, um, 11 months actually <laughs> at Mississippi State um, when I got a call about um, you know about the the position there and so within three years of going full-time college coaching I was um, in a position to be the head coach of a division one program which so I mentioned Forrest Gump earlier right like I mean there's no way you could have predicted that and said you know hey this is how the trajectory because that's just not necessarily how it went um, our athletic director here, Beth Getz, she's a former division one women's soccer player herself. She played at Clemson, um, was a college coach, um, for 10 years, at uh, the division two level or nine years before she went to full-time administration. And so, you know, she looked at my playing experience and maybe even on the pro side, you know, the, and didn't look at it as a, as a detriment, right? I mean, like she saw the value in that and understood that where, um, not that it's a, a problem one way or the other, but I don't know if everybody, every athletic director views it that way. Right. And so, again, I was really fortunate to walk into a situation with somebody who could look at my, my path to get there and say, yeah, you know what, like there's value in, in this. Yeah. It's not the typical 10 years in an assistant, you know, working your way up, but she said, you know, there's, there's still some value to what experience you have and, you know, was willing to give me a chance. 
how exciting is it for you to now be heading into year four when it sounds like your experience so far college-wise has been two years here, the 11 months at Mississippi State, like you've, you know, now you're actually going to see this fourth year, you will see some of those freshmen are now going to be seniors and you're going to start seeing that first wave go through. How cool is it for you to kind of be able to sit back and continually in a way, build a program? Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. Right. Again, love, love our players. Right. I mean, I've loved and enjoyed every single one that I've had a chance to work with, but um, this will be the first So this upcoming fall will be the first class that's, you know, we'll call it my recruiting class that, you know, previous classes have come through before, um, you know, there were commitments that were already made that we honored those commitments and um, happily, right. I mean, I love those kids, but they, you know, they didn't go through the recruiting process with, um, with, you know, with me and my staff, you know, and the staff, like it's, and we've even had some staff turnover. So it's, you know, even some of these kids that commit under different assistant coaches, but um, yeah, I mean, it's really exciting, you know, because I think now, um, just every every piece of it right like you, you know you're finding players who can fit your style and are willing to make adjustments you know but even just what they signed up for right I mean there are some times in the early days where you know the kids you're having to just say like look I get it you didn't sign up for this right like you, you're stuck with me at this point unfortunately right but and I'm going to do things a little different which you know not that the previous staff was wrong in whatever they did it's just it's different right and so kids you know, came in expecting one thing and maybe, you know, as I said, you're expecting one thing, you got me, um, you know, that I think at least now moving forward, right, with this incoming class that, hey, these are the kids that we've been through this process together that, you know, um, at least initially, I would say, you know, just values are, are a little more aligned. What has that been like? Because yeah, you used to be the assistant who was kind of moving on to other things. What has it been like to be as a head coach and have kind of a, a change of the guard as your assistants? Yeah, no, look, I think, um, I think one of the exciting things um, and toughest things about being at a mid-major, right. That I hope, right. And if I'm doing my job, well, if we as a staff are doing our job, well, like I want to find really highly ambitious people who want to continue to grow in their career. And if that means that they've got to be here for a short stint, one season, two seasons, like that's, that's okay. I guess, you know, I, again, I think that there's definitely something to be said for some consistency in staff, right? I mean, you can't underestimate that, but I also think that, uh, you know, I want people who a like, hopefully, right. And I think we've done a great job of finding people who are really good at what they do. And if they're really good at what they do, then, you know, I kind of tell them, I'm like, I hope you're not an assistant coach at Ball State for 15 years with me, right? Like, like you know, I mean, I, I might think I'm pretty great, but I, but I want them to, uh, you know, I, I want them to go and, and reach whatever their dreams are. And, and, and our the college coaching world is so unpredictable that you can't predict when a job comes open, when someone decides they, I mean, you see so much of it now of people retiring, you know, getting out of it. And all of a sudden it's, you know, I think, I don't know if it was seven or eight, power five jobs have turned over in this past cycle, which is kind of nuts that, you know, at one point in time you had, you know, I think it was, you know, UCLA, USC, and Georgia were all, Kentucky were all open at one time, right? Like these are, you know, big time names in, in college athletics that are, so that being said too, that as much as you might say, hey, I'd love for you to be here for two years. Well, if their dream job opens six months later, like, then they need to go for it, right? And I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to be, you know, hurt because of that. Again, part of it, my job is when they come as well is hopefully entrusting me to help them grow in their career, whether that's, you know, um, hopefully individually that I can be, a, I don't I hate to say mentor because I don't think, I don't feel like I'm old enough to be necessarily that, but like, just help them grow, right? Like, hey, how can I help? That's one of the questions I ask when, you know, in interviewing is like, you know, how, how do you feel I can help you, right? Like, if, or what do you feel like you need, you know, where do you want to get better at? And, you know, I, I'll tell them if I'm like, I don't think I can help them there. Like, I'll be honest with them. Like, hey, that's great. That, that might not be how I can help you, you know, but if it's something that we can, then great. Like, come on and we'll, we'll give you those responsibilities. We'll talk about those things, you know, we'll help you, you know, continue to develop and grow as a coach and let's go get you wherever you, you know, the dream job is like, let's go get that for you. You've mentioned the Forrest Gump kind of metaphor. How, how big of a like impact has that been on you as a coach where you're at? I mean, you've got like hall of famer at Indiana, you got the other coach that you got to go with and he's winning 700 plus wins to all of these little stops along the way. I mean, are you filling up a notebook of ideas? Are you just constantly soaking things up as a sponge? I mean, how big were all those little, even 11 months at a power of five at Mississippi state, I'm sure had to be hugely impactful as you made the transition to ball state. So what were some of the things that you kind of latched onto and said, like, cause for a lot of people say, how does, in, how does he keep Indiana a perennial power year in year out? The guy has been there forever. How does he do it? Um, and then the same thing when you win 700 uh, games, that's not just always having great talent. That's got, a, there's a lot of coaching that goes into that as well. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I've learned and our players probably hate this a little bit. And, uh, but honestly, every stop along the way with these, with these coaches that I've had the chance of working with, it's, it's really interesting. Like they are not, um, they're obviously brilliant coaches, but you know, Coach Yegley, we, we kind of like, he was a, such a superstitious guy that if you want a game, like whatever we did at training that week, we were going to do the same exact thing the very next week. Well, down to like the same pennies, like he's going to wear the same thing to a game, right? Like um, now, fortunately, because pretty successful, that, that means that we didn't have a lot of variety in training sessions, right? <laughs> um, but that was, that's true along the step every way. I mean, I think that trying to explain, and it's hard, like you have to be really okay with like, being boring in a sense right like we didn't do a, it was like hey here's what we're doing we're going to be really good at these three things right like great then like just be good at that right you know when I was in Charlotte we went to four straight finals there right and it was like it we weren't you know it wasn't this like I don't it's it's a selling it short to say there weren't tactical things in it right but it was like hey this is who we are this is what we're going to be and like we're just going to be really good at this mm-hmm. and try to be this right now obviously you got to have your tactics have to start from a good spot. You have to have talented players. Right. But I think you also, from the player standpoint, like you gotta be okay with just routine and like process driven, right? Like, all right, like if we're doing patterns, unopposed patterns again today, like, well, how do we get really good at that? I mean, that's one of the hardest things to get players to do is you're doing unopposed patterns, tactical stuff. And like, it can break down so quick, but man, the good teams, like they can appreciate the mundane the mundaneness, I think that's a word, right? Of like those type of things, right? Like, you know, again, in Charlotte, we had like six different passing warmups that we would do, right? I mean, I can do them in my sleep, but I love them. Like, that's what I missed as a player. That's what I miss as a player is not, yes, games are fun. You know, you you love one of those championships are awesome to win those been, you know, fortunate to have some of those, but like, I miss, I miss passing patterns, right? I just miss getting touches and like, 
just the, the, the challenge of can we be perfect here, right? Like if we can't be perfect here, we can't expect to be good anywhere else, right? I mean, it's like, again, it's an unopposed passing pattern, right? Can every pass be clean? Can every pass be to the right foot, the right pace? You know, like uh, I had a coach remember just said, like, got to give a gift, right? Like when I give a pass to somebody, am I giving a gift that they have no choice but to like make a really good pass because I've given them like a gift that, you know, if they screw this up, then I'm going to give them some banter and be like, what do you, you know, like, sorry, I played it to your foot. Like, I don't really, <laughs> what else do you want me to do? Um, you know, so I think like that's, that's one of the bigger things that um, every coach had some things that were a little different about him. Coach was, uh, Coach Yeggs was an unbelievable um, we'll call it manager, right? I mean, like he's getting the top talent in the country year in and year out, and he manages to make them work as a team, right? Where, you know, it's it's one thing to say like, hey, everyone's a good player when they get to college, because they are, right? But now you're talking about like, you're getting national team kids, you're getting the elite of the elite um, to buy in every year, right? Just his his management of people was uh, was unbelievable, right? Mark Steffens, who I got to play for in Charlotte and then coach alongside in Pittsburgh. Like, I don't know of a coach who cares about his players more than him. Um, he didn't have really a full-time staff when I was playing. So I was a captain and me and the other captain, we spent a lot of time with him talking through just, you know, lineup stuff. And he would, you know, he entrusted us a lot and asking these questions, but he was somewhat of a insomniac and didn't sleep a lot, you know? And, um, yeah, I just remember asking him when I said, coach, like, what do you, like, what do you do? It's like two in the morning and you're awake. And um, I'll, I'll never forget this. He just goes, oh, he goes, I just pray for the team. He goes, I just go through the, he goes, I go through the lineup from the back forward. He goes, I just pray for the team. And I'm like, like, like who does that? I'm like, this is a guy who, again, <laughs> like he's a hall of fame coach in the USL. And like, he's telling me that when he can't sleep, like he's not trying to go back to sleep. He's like, all right. You know, like the level of care, I'm going to pray for my, my players, right? Like the level of care that he had, um, you know, for, for every kid that came through that team, whether they played a minute, um, every minute, whatever it was, like, always just stuck with me. You know, I'm like, golly, how selfish am I as a player, right, as a person? Like, I'm not thinking about other people that much. As much as I'd like to think I care about other people, I'm like, I'm not even close, you know. Um, you know, uh, Keith Tozer, right, just I think the guy, right, wins 700 games, but is continually just trying to get better, right? I mean, every year we would be, you know, maybe trying a few different things, and he loved the game of futsal, and so it's like, hey, how do I take this game of futsal and incorporate it in indoor soccer, and, um, you know, like his just motivation and drive every day showing up, and, you know, he told me when I got my first, you know, the first job coaching indoor, and I said, you know, he got any advice and he just goes, he just said three things, teach, teach, teach. He's like, just continually teach, you know, like it's just your job as a coach, you know, um, Bob Lilly, you know, again, another guy who has won everywhere along the way. Like he was, he had, people talk about like, you have a picture in your mind. He had the most detailed picture, right. Of, of how he thought the game needed to be played and how he wanted to do things. And, um, yeah, as a player, sometimes it was frustrating because you'd stop, you know, I mean, he would stop a passing pattern every 15 seconds if he felt like it needed to be done. And you're just like, you just want to get in the rhythm, but it's like, <laughs> no, like this ball needs to be here. Right. I mean, it's like a matter of like six inches, but he's like, no, no, like the ball needs to be here to this foot right here. So they can play this, right. There's always a why behind it, but it was like the detail with which he, he would go, th you know, go about it was um, frustrating as a player at times, but it was like, you know, he's the boss and this is what he wants. And it's like, all right, well, as I said, the mercenary piece, right. It's like, we're paid to do a job. Like, all right, like, let me do my job as best as I can to what he's trying to get. Right. Regardless of 
it doesn't matter if I think it's right. So right? it's what he wants. So like, okay, like, let's do it. Excuse me. And so I think, yeah, you know, again, I look at these different people, you know, I think even, you know, Nate Norman, right. At, at Notre Dame now, like he just, he, he had such a great balance, I think of kind of all those things like tactically and understanding how much is enough and how much is too much for these kids. And, you know, I think, you know, just kind of the basics of like, we don't need to overcomplicate this too much, right? Like we can, you know, it's a similar theme, but I think, you know, his, his ability to kind of combine, I think all those traits was great. You know, Tom and Agnes did Mississippi state, you know, I mean, he was um, relentless is what I would say, a relentless pursuit of excellence. You know, we kind of would joke that he needs to get a hobby because he doesn't have any, but I mean, but part of it though, is like, he's watching film all the time i mean just digesting film all the time and the little nuances and understanding like hey these are little things that we can pick up on and like let's make sure we're prepared for this or this player does this really well um you know so i think learning from him this insatiable appetite for just consuming film right like there's just no substitute from just the more you watch a team play you pick up on things and you're like oh you know what like i'm sure i know our team has them right but every team has tendencies and so it's like how do we counteract these things or how do we prepare for it? Because the game's won and lost in moments, right? It's, it's just one moment here, one moment there. And so it's like, well, who knows if this little piece of information is going to be the difference in us converting in a moment um, or defending a moment really well Um, that every bubble team, every season, I I promise you, you can boil it down to two or three possessions of like, man, if we would have scored in this moment, or if we didn't give up a goal here, that flips the season. And all of a sudden now we're in, the tournament we win a game we don't give lose a game right like i mean it's there's so many minutes that are played in a season that yes it's a collective work but you can go back and look in every game there's one or two moments probably that that are really where the game hinges and so you know that level of detail i think uh is really important to kind of to, to be mindful of I just gave you a lot there sorry that was awesome i <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it the other th- thing i wanted just to finally kind of touch on is here you are at Ball State, and you talked about like allowing you want you don't want assistance to be there for 15 years and what have you. Is there part of you, and even maybe in your wife's hope, that maybe you do move on to a larger, maybe a Power Five D1 school? Is that something, or are you kind of at this point like, hey, at this point, my Forrest Gump trip has taken me, and things have just opened up, or I've got a phone call, um, and if it happens, I'll look at it. But right now. Let me focus on ball state, crush it here, keep building something great. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm a, I kind of touched a little bit on this, right. But I'm, I'm a, look, I'm a faith driven guy. And I I do think that uh, I don't believe too much in coincidence, right. I do believe that you got hard work and you got to do your job where you're at. And I think that when you do that, hopefully things will open. Um, You know, I I joke about the force, but I, I could not have scripted where I'm at, where I've been through even, youth playing and these, you know, different opportunities I've had, like, you can't script that. Right. And I couldn't have predicted it. And so I think, you know, um, I, I can say this a hundred percent that, uh, you know, I love being here at Ball State. Right. I mean, I think that there's a lot of, there, there's just a lot of things that are great about it. Um, the drawbacks being, I'm not close to family anywhere. My wife's in North Carolina, I'm from Texas, but you know, um, there've been things that have come up and even, you know, we look at it, we're like, I don't know if it's worth, going right that that we do enjoy it here so um i'm sure well hopefully i don't know right if opportunities come up you know again in our industry you can't you always take a phone call 
right? That's what that's a little bit of my dad there. Right? Hey, always take the call. Like, again, what's the worst that can happen <laughs> in the phone call? Um, so it's too hard to predict the future. I can tell you that we are extremely, you know, happy here. You know, I think if opportunities come up and you know we feel like it's you know the right the right opportunity for our family, then yeah, right? Like we'll we'll take it. But um, right now we've been really really happy, really fortunate to to be where we're at. That is an awesome way to end this chat. This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats with Josh Reif, and I'm out. Peace. Coach's Corner Chats would like to thank Fearless and Capable for supporting the podcast. Visit fearlessandcapable.com. Dot com.